Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my lovely wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And today is a sports episode. And I guess another way to explain this podcast is if you're a bookish person and know absolutely nothing about sports... We're here for you. Yeah. You can talk to your coworkers now about sports if you listen to the podcast on Tuesdays. And if you're a sports person, listen on Thursdays. You can find out about the book community and finally have something to talk to your friend who likes books about. That's kind of the goal, to try to bring you all a little closer instead of being like, mm, I love books and then, mm, I love sports. I don't know. I just feel like those people don't normally get along that well, so it's... Trying to make more friend groups out of friend groups. Or actually making the conversation easier. Yes, more bearable. But we'll get right into it because I have a decent amount of sports news, which is distressing. I was going to say, when you were talking to me about your notes, I'm like, wow, you have way more notes than I do this week. And you're like, there was a lot of sports news. I'm like, was there? There was, sadly. Starting with the NHL, we have Casey DeSmith of the Pittsburgh Penguins who had surgery on Thursday, June 10th to repair a bilateral core muscle injury. He is expected to need between six and eight weeks for recovery. He was sidelined originally with a soft tissue injury in his groin sustained during practice on May 14th and did not play in the Stanley Cup for the team. Yeah, I, I'm not shocked that he didn't. He wouldn't have really honestly probably anyways because Jari's the number one. But Well, you can't butterfly very well when you have problems in those areas. No, you really can't. So, And another goalie who had problems, Tuka Rask, is expected to be sidelined until either January or February because of a torn labrum in his hip that will require surgery. Again, you can't butterfly very well whenever that happens. What's crazy about this is he's saying that he, he's pretty certain that he injured this in last year's playoffs, and he played the entire season you with it. You had so made much it. time off. Why didn't you do something? You mean 2020, not 2019, based on the look on your face, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. I yeah. thought you meant 2019. I was like, whoa. No, during the, the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, mm. he was injured. And he continued to play through because the injury would have taken so much time to recover. And so he played through, and he's like, I could feel it throughout the year getting worse and worse and worse. At one point, he took about 10 days off to just let it rest. Yeah. He goes, I came back, and I still didn't feel anywhere near 100%. I'm like, oof. He's expected to have the procedure within a month, supposedly. So from then, they'll know how far out it'll be for his return. This is my least favorite part of the season for both the NBA and the NHL because it's just like everybody's admitting to the injuries they've been playing with. It's just time for that. Finally having surgery and not ignoring their problems anymore. <laughs> right. But speaking of this time of year, let's talk about what's going on in the playoffs right now for the Stanley Cup. The Vegas Golden Knights will be playing the Montreal Canadiens in this next round. Yeah, if you're not a Canadians fan and you said that you picked the Canadians to get this far, I call a bunch of nonsense. Like, it's just BS. There's no way. I still I still can't believe they're even this far, and I, I hope the Golden Knights just manhandle them and show the so world too. what the Canadians actually are and the fact that they just skated through the Canadian division, which is always a flop in the NHL. So, like, I'm hoping that's what this is. Well, the North division was a new thing this year, but... 
Canadian teams don't always do particularly well in the NHL, which is funny. Especially since the salary cap era, for that matter. Yeah. But, you know, I was complaining about how behind the North was, and then the Canadians were like, I'll take care of that for you, no problem. They were the first team through. Yes. So it's just like... They beat out the Winnipeg Jets in four. Yeah. So it's like, okay, guess we're here to play. Yeah. And on the other side of our lovely bracket, you have the New York Islanders playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. And as we know, I do not want the Lightning to repeat. I think only one team should have a repeat during the salary cap era. So uh, not then. I feel like you're a little biased on the, the piece about this, but at the same time, I you agree. I know that's not the reason I agree. <laughs> I don't care if they win a second series back to back. But you agree that Tampa Bay should not win the Stanley Cup. I do not want them to, only because I honestly, since your team has been eliminated, have been rooting for the Barry Trotz Islanders, only because I would love to see the just outrage that the Washington Capitals fans have after cutting him literally the year after he won the Stanley Cup. Like, Wasn't it like... Less than six months later, he was fired? he was fired six months after winning the Stanley Cup. It's like, what? How is that a smart decision? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. It's not a smart decision. It's a stupid one. So, what I'm hearing is that in this house, what we would like to see move forward out of this third round that's going to start today is Vegas and New York. We want to see them in the Stanley Cup final. Right, and... I kind of want to root for the Canadians just because of the underdogs, obviously, again. But at the same time, I don't want a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup because it's been decades since they have been. So it's just like... Canadian teams should not win the Stanley Cup. I'm sorry. Yeah. No That's how we feel in this house. Yeah. As well, too, you got to think with Vegas Golden Knights, they have my ex-goalie and your ex-goalie at the helm. Yes. So it's kind of like... That's who we really want. We want the boys to win. Yeah. Yeah. But because now we have a Canadian team, obviously, in the next round, having to play American teams finally, we've had to discuss how this is going to work because COVID is still a thing. Canada still has quarantine. So the NHL will be able to play in Canada as needed for the final two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs after decision by Canada's government on Sunday, June 6th to issue an exemption for cross-border travel. And this will allow teams to cross the U.S.-Canada border for games under a modified quarantine, starting with the Stanley Cup semifinals, which will start for that side, I believe. They start on Monday. So you're going to love the process of this. I've dug a little deeper on it. So when the team arrives in Canada, the shuttle bus will take them directly from the tarmac, so they're not even in the airport ever. To the hotel through a special entrance for the players that will have access to their wing of the suites at the hotel that they'll be staying at. And then they will be directly shuttled from that same entrance to the stadium through their own entrance away from the Canadian teams. And it's just like, I get why they're doing it, but it's just like, hey, you know what? We have a higher vaccination percentage in the United States than we do in Canada. So it's like, for once, we're handling something right. So... The teams will also be subject to enhanced protocols. The border has been close to non-essential travel since March 19th of 2020. 
Currently, travelers arriving in Canada face a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Not so with the teams who will be traveling to Canada to play in Canada. A few of the protocols that teams will have to face are arrival to and departure from Canada by private jet, daily COVID testing, and a modified quarantine bubble like you were talking about. The teams will be limited to the hotel, the rink, and all interactions with the public are going to be limited as much as possible. So you get off your plane, you go to your hotel, you go to the rink, you go to your hotel, you go to your plane. Like, you don't go anywhere but those three places. Uh, I, example given, bus driver. The only Canadian interaction they have. Right. <laughs> Probably the people delivering food to your room. Yeah. But, yeah. For the most part, it's going to be similar to the giant bubble they had last year, but just one team, it looks like. Yeah. Definitely interesting, that's for sure. But there were also some signings that happened this week. Anton Lundell, who was the number 12 pick in the 2020 NHL draft, agreed to a three-year entry-level contract with the Florida Panthers on Monday, June 7th. And another one from the 2020 NHL draft that did a contract this week was Lucas Reichel, who was the number 17th pick. He has also agreed to a three-year entry-level contract, but with the Chicago Blackhawks. And that happened on Wednesday, June 9th. Yeah, definitely excited about that. He's really grown in the the time from the draft to where he is now. We kind of sat back just to let him play another season against adults uh, because it would have been his third season against really adult-age people in Germany. So... It's exciting to see that he continues to improve. And honestly, there's been a lot of comparisons to some of the players we brought up in recent years. So I'm excited for it. Just the same. On top of that, you had the Oilers sign Devin Shore to a two-year $1.75 million contract. This nets him a raise of $150,000 more a year than his previous contract, which was the NHL league minimum. So they're like, we value you just a tad more than the league minimum. I don't know if that's insulting or not. But it's more money. So we also had, you wouldn't call this a signing, I don't think, but Brad Larson was named coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets on Thursday, June 10th. He is replacing John Tortorella after the Blue Jackets announced that he wouldn't return after six seasons with the team. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of a non issue this season, I feel like, the Blue Jackets. So I'm not surprised all of that happened, but. I feel like they replaced him kind of quickly. I've got my opinions about the replacement. So you would think after you've had a guy in your organization like Torts for so long that you'd look outside of the organization to possibly replace him. So Brad Larson's been the assistant coach for the Blue Jackets for the last seven years. So he's just as much to blame as the issue as Torts was in my mind. Like if you're on the coaching staff that has been failing for roughly two or three seasons now, with the quality players that you have, it's like, aren't you partially responsible for this? Why are you getting a promotion? Like, it doesn't really make sense to me. And then it kind of makes me think maybe they didn't think there was that much wrong with Torts' system, and they're going to let this guy continue to run that style system, more or less, for them. I don't know. It's just, it seems weird. Like, you make a major change and then don't. The thing with speculation is you don't know what was going on the whole time. Like. Unless you worked there, you don't know what was happening there, so I really wouldn't want to speculate about why they would pick him out of anyone they could have hired. Well, and there's a lot of good free names that are available right now for head coach, so it's kind of shocking to me that 
that's what you go with, but at the same time, who knows, maybe it was the plan all along was to move Torts out at some point during the season and move him in, so who knows. But like you said, it's kind of a lot of speculation at this point. Like, you don't really know why they made that move, and who knows, maybe it works out. We'll see. I don't think it will because it's the Columbus Blue Jackets, but maybe. Their locker room is just so toxic right now, so, like, I'm not shocked. Like, when you have four or five of your key players going, trade me, right. it's not it's not a good good team bonding time unless you're bonding over wanting to be traded, in which case that's still not healthy. So. I feel like that doesn't make you work harder. No, it doesn't. The Calgary Flames announced that they're hiring Kirk Muller as their new assistant bench coach. Uh, he was most recently an assistant coach with the Canadians for the past five seasons. Over the last five years, we've seen the Canadians get progressively better and better, so maybe that's not a bad move. This week, we also had the Boston Bruins for David Krejcik. Krejci. Sure. Yeah. Who has been fined $5,000 for slashing New York Islanders forward Matthew Barzal during Game 4 of the team's second round series in New York, which happened on Saturday, June 5th. There's times where they're so apparent like this, including this slash, where it's like, can't we just give him more than $5,000 so he actually learns a lesson from this? Because, Well, as not... you would know if you hadn't made me start dropping this phrase, it is <laughs> the maximum allowable under the current CBA. Yeah. So, no, you can't. Yeah. It's stupid. There's a certain point where it's like, if it's that oblivious, it's not taking player safety into consideration. But that's what player safety is for? To... I don't know, maybe give him some other punishment than a fine. Yeah, which they clearly aren't. So They didn't think it was worth a punishment. We also had a fine for a coach from the Boston Bruins. So good job, Boston, this week. Racking up them fines. Boston Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy has been fined $25,000 for public comments critical to the officiating following Game 5 of the second round series against the New York Islanders on Monday night, June 7th, in Boston. Fun times. It's always weird to me when you get such a hefty fine for words you're saying. <laughs> right. But then a that smaller fine like a for slashing somebody. <laughs> but then we have the funny news from this week, which I'm sure you have written in your notes as well. Mayor John Tory flew a Montreal Canadiens flag at Toronto City Hall on Thursday, June 10th, after losing a bet to Montreal Mayor Valerie Plant. I didn't put this in my notes because I tweeted about it earlier yes. in the week. Why, even as the mayor of Toronto, would you bet with the Maple Leafs in a playoff series? Because you would like to get reelected at some point. <laughs> it is merely a PR stunt. You don't actually think they're going to win jack crap. Well, the dilemma is then it also makes you look like a bad candidate because you're like, look, I flew the Canadians flag over Toronto. No, he kept his word, which yeah. does look nice. You can make that a Two good thing. Yeah. But we also had the CN Tower that was lit up red, white, and blue on Tuesday, June 8th to honor the Montreal Canadiens as the champions of the Scotia North Division after they swept the Winnipeg Jets in the second round of the Stanley Cup. The CN Tower, which is located in Toronto, is the largest freestanding tower in North America and regularly lights up for special occasions. So yes. Toronto's just having a time. Yeah. Their fans walking around everywhere like, ugh. This is the worst. Yeah. Like, I couldn't fathom seeing, like, the St. Louis Blues flag flying over Chicago. Like, that would just, it would hurt my soul forever. 
Well, it would be like if, for some reason, Dallas and Pittsburgh made it into the Stanley Cup final while we lived here. And I'd just be like, I hate living here. This is the worst. Be people wearing green jerseys everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess because this person has nothing else to do right now. P.K. Subban is going to work as an NHL analyst for ESPN throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. He debuted on SportsCenter on Wednesday, June 9th. And ESPN and Turner Sports will take over national coverage of the NHL in the U.S. beginning next season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm kind of glad we're doing what we're doing package-wise because we'll have both of those sets of channels. So, yes. Not that that's the reason we're changing no, anything not, at it's all. it's not, but it's just working out that way. Yeah, it's it, convenient, though. It's going to be weird because like, you have Wayne Gretzky doing the ESPN broadcasts next season, so it's just... I don't know. In my head, he's not a real person, so to have to see him in, like, a normal situation, I feel like my <laughs> brain's going to explode. It's going to be weird, because, like, you, obviously NBC's had the contract for a long time, and a lot of the broadcasts have the same teams, you know, like, the same guys, the same gals, for years and years and years. The and same non-binary pals. Yeah, and it's just been, it's weird. It's been strange. So I guess since Subban had nothing else to do at this time of the year, he's going to work on commentating. He never really does. They usually, like the teams he's been a part of have only ever gotten to the first round with him in the roster. So it's like... Maybe he's the problem. It's quite possible. Did the, anyone think of that? The, the curse of Subban. Yes. Though there are multiple Subans, you need to be specific. It applies to all of them. <laughs> if we didn't learn that this year in Chicago, I don't know what else we learned from the year. The worst part about that is I called that nonsense, the Subban curse, the beginning of it. I know I didn't say it with those exact words, but I did state that all Subans cause problems for teams. So That's accurate. Pretty close. If you're new to sports, just remember no one likes P.K. Subban, except for maybe his father. <laughs> That's not true, though. <laughs> That's awful. Because, like, he's so out in front of, like, taking care of the communities around wherever he's at. So, like... Okay, maybe people like him when he's off the ice, but when he's on the ice, you don't like him. <laughs> uh, I'm going to agree to disagree with you on that one. Just, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I will say, though, that it's very easy for me to dislike players. I'm just a hater, so... Yeah. She's Remembering got, she, that as we go. She's got her 40-ounce bottle of Haterade right next to her, so... <laughs> but in, I guess, exciting news, if you like this sort of thing, the first 27 picks of the 2021 NHL draft have been set. Where are you guys picking? We are not picking in the first round because we gave up our first round to Minnesota, I think. That's right. But also, we are very, very, very low anyway. Yeah. So I think we're in the 20s. Okay. So. In reality, our first pick will be like the 40-whatever pick. In the second round, yeah. Well, yeah, the second round, sorry. The first 15 selections were determined by the NHL draft lottery, which was held on June 2nd and was the most boring draft lottery in existence. You're not wrong. It was definitely pretty boring. The 12 teams that lost in the first two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs were slotted into picks 16 through 27. The final order of the first round will be set after the cup final, as is usual. The first round of the draft will be held on July 23rd, with rounds 2 through 7 on July 24th. And the full list to see who's picking when can be found on the NHL website. Yeah, so you guys gave up the 25th pick to Minnesota. Okay, so our first pick's going to be 50. 
Probably roughly around there, yeah. If we don't give up our second round pick. Our GMs just think we don't need to pick anyone in the draft for some reason. For this next one, I should have looked this up, but I was so sick yesterday I didn't think to do it. But I'm going to watch this video later on. The NHL got some late night recognition when Jimmy Fallon made some jokes at the expense of some NHL players on his late night comedy show on Thursday, June 10th. He does this every year during the Stanley Cup Yeah, so basically he pulls up photos of players and makes fun of them. Yeah. So Fallon picked some headshots of a handful of players from teams that are currently still in the playoffs as of when it came out. And cracked wise about everything from the youthful looks of Montreal Canadiens forward Cole Caulfield. He's a child. He's he 15. looks like a child. He's 15 years old. I'm dead set on that, and you can't tell me otherwise. To the serious stare on Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman Victor Hedman. Yeah, he that, that headshot, he looks like he's going to murder people. I've seen yes. it. Yeah. And... There were obviously more than that, and the Avalanche jokingly replied on Twitter that they learned some new things about their own players from the show. Yeah. So that was fun. He does this every year with every sport in the playoffs. Like, he did it during the Super Bowl last year, so it's just like... I just feel like it needs to happen more often so more people can get into hockey. Yeah. I wouldn't have an issue with it. And then we've got the trophy finalists. They finally announced the rest of those this past week. For the Frank J. Selkie Trophy, which is the top defenseman award, they have nominated Alexander Barkov, Patrice Bergeron. How do you say that again? With an H in there for some reason, moving on. Patrice Bergeron. That's the one. Okay. And Mark Stone were named finalists for the Selkie Trophy. For the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, they have Renee Hess, Kevin Hodgson, and Howard Smith. Renee Hess founded the Black Girl Hockey Club, which is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2018 to inspire and sustain passion for hockey within the black community and specifically for women in the black community. She was nominated last year and lost the trophy, I think, by like three votes. She was so close. Yeah. So like if she doesn't get it this year, I'll be kind of shocked. Yeah. Another nominee, Kevin Hodgson, is the executive director of Heroes, which stands for Hockey Education Reaching Out Society, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Did but it drop the E at the end? Like heroes? It's Heroes Without the E. Got it. But this organization empowers at-risk youth and superheroes, which provides boys and girls living with physical and cognitive challenges with a safe and inclusive environment, as well as an adapted on-ice curriculum. That's cool. And the other one, Howard Smith, was a co-founder of Pittsburgh ICE, which stands for Inclusion Creates Equity, a Hockey is for Everyone program that is committed to offering children of all socioeconomic backgrounds the opportunity to learn and play hockey. I wonder which one you're rooting for on that one. I mean, I do think that hockey is a really expensive sport and that it's good to have other people allowed, like, not given permission, but given the ability to... Have the equipment provided right. so they don't have to pay out of pocket. It is an expensive sport. There's no doubt about it. Like, But uh, also they are located in Pittsburgh, so yes. Yeah. You got to think, like, as a kid growing up, like, normal, like, baseball, you need a helmet. A lot of times those are provided by the Little League. Bats are usually provided. All you really have to do is show up with a glove. Glove, cleats, outfit. Yeah. Well, the outfit is usually provided for the most part, too, other than, like, sliding pants. So you need sliding pants, like, 20 bucks, a glove, 
30 bucks, you know, it's it's not that expensive in comparison. As well, you can grow with your glove, whereas with, like, hockey pads, you have to change them yeah. uh, every few years because you're growing out of them. So, like, it's it's expensive. And then to, like, have ice time and skates to be sharpened, like, it's, it's not cheap. Yeah, it's an expensive sport for sure. So I do always support anyone who is trying to bring people into watching and enjoying hockey. Yeah. For the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy, which is for perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication, they have Matt Dumba, Oscar Lindblom, and Patrick Marlowe for finalists. For the James Norris Memorial Trophy, which is for the top defensemen, they have Adam Fox, Victor Hedman, and Kel McCarr as finalists. For the Hart Memorial Trophy, which is for the MVP of the regular season, they have Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, and Connor McDavid for finalists. For the Jack Adams Award, which is for Coach of the Year, you have Rod Brindamore, who coached the Carolina Hurricanes, Dean Evason, who coached the Minnesota Wild, and Joe Quinville, who coached the Florida Panthers. Well, you'll know who I'll be rooting for in that final one. Yes. I will be rooting for Coach Q to win uh, that title because it's well-deserved. He's turned that team around in just a few years. So, Has he even been there for more than one season? Uh, it's his third year there now. That he, feels wrong. He took a year off between Chicago and Florida, so yeah. And the NHL announced on Friday, June 11th, that it will reveal the winners of the 2021 NHL awards throughout the 2021 Stanley Cup semifinals and finals. Beginning on Monday, June 14th, NBC Sports, Sportsnet, and TVA Sports will announce winners during their pregame or in-game windows for the 2021 Stanley Cup semifinals. The announcements will be followed by media availability with each winner during the first intermission of the respective games. The daily schedule is up now on the NHL website, but are subject to change. So who gets what award when can change, but as of now, they have a schedule on the website. But I think the one that surprised me when I was looking for news was the NFL because there was a surprising amount of stuff that happened, given the fact that they're just doing trainings right now. Yeah. The first one I found is that the Falcons have traded wide receiver Julio Jones and a 2023 sixth-round pick to the Titans for a 2022 second and a 2023 fourth-round pick. The deal will be official following Jones's physical. He passes physical this week. The team has approved the trades at this point. So he's been partaking in practices since Wednesday. So it was interesting when he first got traded over there. Everybody was, uh, obviously we talked about it. It literally happened the day we were recording the episode. Yeah. But we'd already recorded. And so the speculation began, is A.J. Brown going to give up his number 11 for Julio Jones? And basically he was, A.J. Brown's like, I would be beyond honored to give up the number 11 for Julio Jones to wear it. And Julio Jones goes, no, man, that's your number. You're on the same team I'm going to be on. I'll pick a different number out. So well, that's nice. He was really humble about being moved over to the team. So I think it's exciting that team has a crazy offense now. You have Henry running back, Tannehill at quarterback, and you have A.J. Green and Julio Jones at wide receiver. Like if Tannehill doesn't throw for a record year, his offensive coordinator screwed him. Like, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. He has probably the best wide receiver core in the NFL right now. It's going to be interesting. We'll see how the season turns out. But 
I definitely think the Falcons got the short end of the stick. I think most people expected Julio Jones to go for at least a first-rounder, and nobody really was playing ball on that. So it is what it is, I guess. Get what you can get. Also, we had the Ravens, who have signed RB Gus Edwards to a two-year $10 million extension through 2023. And Honestly, that one's pretty well-deserved. He was averaging over five yards a carry, which in the world of running back, that's phenomenal. That's really good. So I'm not shocked to see this contract extension as well. It kind of takes a lot of the running game off Lamar Jackson, which, you know, he needs to be able to throw more anyways. So I think that's a good move. But that wasn't everything that the Ravens have done. The Ravens have also signed ex-Broncos tackle Jawan James to a two-year $3.5 million contract. I'm not too big on this move just because Jawan James was pretty toxic in the Broncos organization. He's legitimately suing them for lost wages at this point. So, Which I will discuss after that. Yeah. But the deal that he signed with the Ravens includes an additional $5 million in incentives, but only 500000 of it is guaranteed in the form of a signing bonus. He will also receive an additional 500000 via a roster bonus in March if he's still with the team at that point. Yeah, and if he does make it through the first season, which he's injured right now, he'll collect 800000 of the contract as well. So I, they're basically paying him $800,000 knowingly that he's not going to play this season. It's interesting. But a signing I think you'll find interesting more so than the other one is Justin Fields has signed a rookie contract with the Chicago Bears. The Bears have agreed to terms with Ohio State product Justin Fields on a fully guaranteed four-year deal worth $18.8 million dollars. Which, I was surprised to read the phrase fully guaranteed. It felt weird for a rookie contract. So, and I'm probably going to make some enemies with this comment, but Justin Fields is more than likely going to be the number one quarterback to come out of this draft. No one is going to have a problem with that, I don't think. There were four other quarterbacks that went in the draft in the top four. He wasn't anywhere near it. So, I think there's higher expectations for these other players, but I think... The offense that he's going to be sliding into in a Nagy-style offense fits him better than any of the other quarterbacks that are going into whatever offensive strategies they're going into. So I think in, like, two years, we're going to be talking a lot about Justin Fields, hmm. right? Like, next season, it sounds like the Bears are still pretty set on Andy Dalton, but you're seeing a lot of comments coming out of the camp from the players and from the coaches going, he's a lot better than we expected. So From what I read in the article that I read, they were actually saying that Fields might be their like pick, their option that they would want to go with yeah. out of all their quarterbacks that they currently have at camps and stuff. Yeah. So from what I've read, uh, the other guy, I don't even know his name. Andy so Dalton. He wasn't their like top pick from what I read. He's but. still taking the most reps at the OTAs, so... It- Tends to lead that that's going to be your guy, but we'll see what ends up happening, I guess. But if Justin Fields gets it, I'm going to be happier. I really don't like Andy Dalton. I don't think he fits into the offensive scheme very well, so I'd be happy with that. I'm still confused about the fully guaranteed four-year deal because he is a youngin. But it turns out that in his contract, $11 million of that is a signing bonus. So I guess seven point eight is what's left over after the fact. So that might be how they found a way to guarantee more money. Yeah. All the money. And the contract will also feature the standard fifth-year option that all first-round picks receive in their first contract, which I did not know. 
Yep, they do include it. It's kind of a safety net so that, like, if maybe things aren't going quite as well on your terms, you can automatically option him in for the fifth year. They use that for Dak here in Dallas once. But like you were saying before, Juwan James has filed an expected grievance against the Denver Broncos after his release following a torn Achilles tendon, which he suffered while working out away from the team facility. So he is seeking approximately $15 million in lost wages, which feels excessive. Their argument will obviously be the reason they cut him is because he was working out with a non-approved format from the organization, and it's it's going to be ugly. It's going to be like an in-the-trench type lawsuit for sure, and it's not going to be won by anybody overnight, that's for sure as well, because it's kind of, ugh, just from my perspective, it's not going to be a pretty, pretty experience. Well, when you're trying to grab $15 million away from your ex-employer, yeah, it's probably going to get ugly. <laughs> to say the least. The Denver Broncos' longest-tenured employee, athletic trainer Steve Greek Antonopoulos, is retiring after 45 years with the team. The team will be renaming the training room at UC Health Training Center the Steve Greek Antonopoulos Training Room and will recognize the trainer at a home game later this year, this season. That's pretty cool. That's a little nicer way of leaving your... Former employee. Employer. To say the least, yeah. And another retirement is that former first-round CB Jonathan Joseph retires after 15 seasons in the NFL. He was a first-round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals in, in 2006. He was derailed by an injury in his third season, and he spent the next nine seasons with the Texans. Last season, he played half the season in Tennessee and finished the year in Arizona. So he's been a couple places. Yeah. As cornerbacks do, it's not really a position where you play your entire career with one team. You kind of four or five years here, three years there type of situation. So I'm not shocked to hear that. Good that he's retired. 15 years of hitting people is probably wearing your body a little bit. Probably as much as you can take. Yeah. And this week we have a different version of people behaving badly because it's all legal stuff. I didn't have any of this. You told me that you saw a bunch of it. So, like, I was like, okay, well, let me look for it. And I could not find it anywhere. So, I'm excited to hear about it. Let me inform you. Yeah. Former Kansas City Chiefs assistant coach Britt Reed pleaded not guilty on Monday, June 7th to critically injuring a young girl in a crash. The judge allowed him to resume driving with restrictions. The judge modified his bond during his arraignment to allow him to have a special interlock device installed, which requires him to pass a breathalyzer test before his vehicle will start. I know that he was brought up on charges for DUI, so I'm not shocked, but... Apparently that involved hitting a young girl with his car. Yeah. Which... Hopefully it was she was in a vehicle and not just walking down the street, but... I assume so, because otherwise that would be more like manslaughter or... Yeah, vehicular mm, manslaughter, yeah. Yeah. The Cleveland Browns chief of staff, Callie Brownson, was charged with operating a vehicle impaired on May 27th in Brunswick, Ohio. Head coach Kevin Stefanski told reporters that the team was working with the NFL on appropriate discipline for Brownson, but that she would not lose her job with the Browns. That's kind of crazy. I feel like you might... At least leave that option open. Right. But I guess not. 
And the New York Giants cornerback Sam Beal pled guilty to two gun-related charges last week stemming from an arrest last June. He withdrew his former plea of not guilty and entered a guilty plea on June 4th in Lorraine County, Ohio. He has been entered into a pre-trial diversion program and placed on two years of probation. I feel like he got away with just a slap on the wrist in that instance, but should have been worse. I think everyone in sports should always get worse than what they get. You have some biases, though. My bias is seeing them get away with murder, but all right. Yeah. And then I thought this next one was pretty interesting. So there is a pain management committee for the NFL and the NFL Players Association, and they are going to provide $1 million in funding for research into pain management and cannabinoids. Yeah, they're trying to basically figure out if doing that option instead of opioids would be better for the players, right. like long-term, trying to avoid like addictions and things like that. So see what the research comes out to end up saying, but it's I think it's a healthier option probably for the players than it would be to be using opioids for painkillers. But at the same time, sometimes you need that extra oomph of pain relief, and we'll see what the research comes out to say, I guess. For years, the NFL suspended players if they tested positive for marijuana multiple times. That changed with the CBA approved a year ago, and now the league wants to know more about how safe cannabis and CBD are and if they work, particularly as an, like you said, alternative to opioids. There are five grants that are expected to be awarded around Thanksgiving. Also this week, the NFL announced that they are exploring options to possibly host a game in Germany in the upcoming international series that they're going to be hosting. They so far have reached out to the companies that own these stadiums that they are trying to check in, stadiums being Allianz Arena, which is the home to Bayern Munich, Signal Iduna Park, which is the home of your team, Borussia Dortmund, and then also uh, the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, which is the home of Hertha BSC. All those stadiums seat 70,000 plus roughly, so I think Signal Laduna is actually the smallest out of all of them, but not by that much, um, if I remember correctly, based on how many seats there are in the stadium. But I'm pretty sure we're close comparatively. Yeah, I don't. again, I don't think it's that far apart, but it, out of the three, I'm pretty certain it's the smallest, just because the Olympic Stadium did a revamp it for the uh, World Cup a number of years ago, so they added more seats, more features, upgraded the facility, all that kind of stuff. But the reason they're contemplating hosting a game there is they noticed that a large population of people in Germany are actually the ones buying the tickets for the English games and traveling to England to see the football games. I know personally a couple of friends that play professional football in Germany and or coach football in Germany that I went to high school with. So it's kind of cool that like, you know, it's a sport that's clearly growing in that country. Obviously it's American football to them, not football because that's soccer but still i wouldn't mind going to see a football game in any of those stadiums i think it would all be kind of a cool experience well since we've already gone to see your team stadium we'd go see a game in dortmund is what you're saying possibly and also this week the nfl has announced the 2021 preseason schedule dates and times The NFL slash Hall of Fame game will take place on August 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern between Pittsburgh and Dallas. 
The official week one preseason opener will be on Thursday, August 12th between Washington and New England at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. But the full preseason schedule can be found on the NFL website. Exciting. Preseason football is usually so boring, though, because it's usually just the guys that are trying to make the roster. It's never... I mean, if you're trying to figure out who's going to be on your team, it would be interesting, but otherwise... Yeah. I would not be interested, but I don't like sports. And thankfully, we have very few things to talk about in the MLB, or at least I do. I'm hoping you found no other news, and we can just blow right through the MLB. I have, like, two or three things, so yeah. Exciting. Let's get through it. All right. The D-Bags general manager, Mike Hazen, is taking a physical leave of absence from the team with assistant GM Amiel Sade taking over the day-to-day operations. I kind of feel like I know the reason why, and when we get to it, I'll talk about it, but the Diamondbacks aren't so great right now. Whatever you're thinking, it sounds like it's wrong because it's because his wife is battling brain cancer. Oh, never mind. That is definitely wrong then. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you speculated so yeah feel like they really shouldn't put her stuff out there in the world like that the rays have acquired right-hander matt Wizzler from the giants on friday june 11th tampa bay received Wizzler and cash considerations from san francisco in exchange for minor league left-hander michael plasmeyer people have weird names i've decided i'm just glad you didn't call him twizzler it's what it looks like yeah but my favorite thing that happened in the MLB this week, can you guess what it was? No idea. A Manhattan judge on Thursday, June 10th, rejected an attempt to force MLB to return next month's All-Star Game to Atlanta. U.S. District Judge Valerie E. Carponi ruled against a not-for-profit organization representing small businesses, saying that The lawsuit had failed to provide proof that its members had suffered any injuries by the decision to move the game. The lawsuit was filed on May 31st and alleged that the MLB acted unconstitutionally when it moved the game from the Atlanta Braves Stadium to Denver after Georgia Republicans enacted a restrictive new voting law. Here's my opinion on it. It it sucks for the small businesses around the stadium. I think they definitely are going to lose money that they would have made if the event would have been held. But at the same time, they're a private business. They can do what they want. Period. And on top of that, technically, unless they had like banners made or something made for the All-Star Game to put in their window, small businesses did not actually lose money, which is why the judge said that they're was no proof that they, quote, suffered any injuries. Yeah. Like, I could see possibly the organization making an argument for loss of funds because they had patches made, they had all these things designed, so, like, the Braves would have an argument for lost income. But otherwise, no. And before the ruling, Caproni verbally sparred for over an hour with attorney Howard Kleinhendler making it clear that she thought there were no grounds for the lawsuit's claims and that his organization did not have any standing to sue. Yeah. The lawsuit sought $100 million in compensatory damages. That word looks wrong. They wanted to be compensated for damages up to $100 million. Yeah. And $1 billion in punitive damages. Yeah. What? What? That makes no effing sense. 
the, the judge agreed to you with you in that instance. Obviously. Yeah. Jesus. I feel like you had a fifth grader as your lawyer. Like how much money should we sue him for? A billion dollars? A whole billion dollars. It's like the most money I've ever been able to count to. Have you ever counted to a billion? I feel no. like you get bored. It would take a long time. And the last MLB piece of news that I personally have is kind of a sticky situation. The MLB's enhanced plans for enforcement of foreign substance rules are being finalized with a June rollout. So you realize what they mean by foreign substances, right? Well, from what I saw, it's uh, the pitchers aren't supposed to have sticky things right. for their pitching. Correct. So you acted like I didn't know, but I knew. Well... It all stems from the fact that the MLB provides basically a sandbag that allows them to dry off their hands and give them better like grip on it. But by the time usually players at the end of the game come in, there's nothing left in it because both pitchers abuse it so hard during the leading innings that the closers don't have the opportunity to have it. And I'm like, there's an easy solution to that. They More just bring, sand. They just bring out a new one. Yeah. You know, like, it's not that complicated. Do it at, like, the seventh inning stretch. Right. Nothing else is happening. Exactly. And so it's just, like, I I do and I don't get it. And the issue is a lot of the times pitchers are putting it, like, on the inside of the bill of their hat. Why? Because it's hidden away from view, usually speaking. Oh, you mean the sticky stuff on the inside of their hat, not sand. I was like, why would you put sand up there? No. What? But it's, like clear substances so you can't see it when the pitcher's pitching but like it's just very simple for them to like readjust their hat and be like oh it's on my hand now now it's on the ball like it's just it's frustrating like because basically pitchers are using it to get higher spin rates which having a higher spin rate usually means the ball is going to move more once it leaves your hand so in a sense they're cheating Call it what it is. They're I cheating. don't think in a sense they're cheating. I think they're cheating yeah. based on my understanding. But all of the MLB pitchers are going to be checked repeatedly and randomly for foreign substances by umpires under the plan with it possibly being implemented within the next 10 days to two weeks. Yeah. It, I guess, depends. I don't know what you need to do to make that happen. I feel like it should be able to happen immediately. Yeah. But the MLB is expected to instruct its empires to enforce a rule that has long been on the books but mostly ignored. So I guess this rule has been in place for a while, but now they're like, you really got to do it now. Yeah, so there's been a couple instances this season where players or pitchers have been caught with a substance in their hat. or They were caught clear-handed. <laughs> yes. But the issue really is is it it's, it's just cheating in outright standard. However, pitchers across the league are coming out and going, like, either enforce it. They're, they're just frustrated. They're like, either enforce it 100% of the time or come up with some standardized thing that we can use, all of us, and standardize it. If you really want the sport to be exciting from the pitcher's perspective, give us what we want or just be fair about it. Enforce it 100% of the time. And the issue is the MLB is kind of always, like you said, been kind of like, well, we might enforce it today. We might enforce it next week next month we don't really know like it's just been whenever they feel like it they enforce it so is sand that expensive they can't buy more sand it's it's not and and it's such an easy solution but the thing is people are still going to come out with it attached to their hat they're going to they're just using that as an excuse for the most part what do you think the punishment will be if they get caught now i hope suspensions to be completely honest yeah 
I'm thinking it's gonna be fines, but it should be suspensions. It's just the same in my mind as somebody using steroids that is a offensive position player, like a defensive or a designated hitter in that instance. It's just another form of cheating in my mind. And I don't know, maybe I'm a purist to the game, but I, I just, it's frustrating. So I didn't write about it because I knew you were going to talk about it. Because if I wrote about it, it would be like eight pay- paragraphs long. So, but. And I already feel like we've talked about it too much. So we'll get on to my notes for the actual MLB, which again, short. So we did have a pretty serious injury in my organization this week. Nick Madrigal went down in the process of stretching to try to get to a base to beat out a throw. Under his actual inspections and imaging and all that kind of stuff. Exams? Yes, that. He's being placed on a 60-day IL right now with a right hamstring tear. They're actually not expecting him to come back for five to six months. So So um, this is more like a disability IL than an injured IL? Yeah, so the IL in the major leagues, the maximum amount of time you can put somebody on there is a 60-day What's nice about it is it does, if you put somebody on a 60-day IL, free up the money for the cap hit. Obviously, he's going to be out more than 60 days, so it's a no-brainer to put him on that list. I'm glad I don't do accounting for sports because it makes no sense. It's a mess. Because the player still gets paid, right? Yes. But it doesn't hit your cap. Correct. None of this makes sense. Yeah. And then we had some losing streaks happen this week that are pretty prominent. With the loss to the Tampa Bay Rays on Saturday, the Orioles have lost 14 straight road games. Do you think they'll make 20? Well, it's road games, so they've won home games. They oh, just they've dang. lost road games. As well, this week the Athletics defeated the Diamondbacks on Wednesday, giving the Diamondbacks their 19th straight road loss. Uh, so the Diamondbacks don't play well anywhere outside of much anywhere, really, because their home record is pretty awful Except as well. for in the Viper pit. It's not their home stadium. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> They're snakes, though, right? Also, Diamondbacks are rattlesnakes. Oh. Vipers are completely different. But I'm entertained by your attempted snake knowledge. <laughs> I hate snakes, so. Yeah. We can move on to our favorite category, the NBA, right? I don't know whose favorite that is, but it's not mine. <laughs> Got it. We had a few injuries this past week for the NBA, starting with Milwaukee Bucks guard Dante Vincenzo. He underwent successful surgery on June 8th to repair the torn ligament in his left ankle. Technically, he sustained the injury on May 27th in Game 3 of the Bucks' first round of the playoffs against the Heat. Then there was the Hawks' DeAndre Hunter, who is out with a torn right meniscus. He is set to have surgery on his right knee to repair the injury. Prior to game one against Philadelphia, Hunter began experiencing mild swelling in his right knee, which led to having an MRI, and that's how they found the tear, not through actual, like, pain symptoms, Yeah, I guess. And the Chicago Bulls guard Kobe White had surgery on Thursday on his left shoulder after injuring it over the weekend. The team said he was hurt while engaged in basketball activities away from the team. Yeah. He is set to be reevaluated in four months. So a long time for this guy, too. Also, the Toronto Raptors announced on Friday that Pascal Siakam, Siakam. Siakam underwent successful surgery last week to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder. The injury occurred on May 8th versus Memphis. The expected recovery and rehabilitation timeline is approximately five months, but it seems like 
it might stretch out if it doesn't go perfectly. Also this week, we had the Clippers center, uh, Serge Ibaka. Uh, he underwent season-ending back surgery. He's believed that there was some type of injury that he had earlier in the season where he sat out for about 10 days that may have been what is causing this injury to be worse than it is. Um, so they're going to be treating that by giving him a surgery. Never fun to have back surgery as a tall person, I would imagine. You know, like, I feel like any person. Yeah. And then also this week, 76ers guard Danny Green strained his right calf during game three between the Hawks and the 76ers. He's expected to be reevaluated in about two weeks. But I guess the more entertaining NBA news is that we're in the middle of the second round of the playoffs with some teams definitely pulling ahead. We have the Phoenix Suns who are leading the Denver Nuggets 3-0 to in their series. So I think I know who's going to move on. There's a chance they could close that out tonight. They play around 7 p.m. Central Time. So. Yeah. So by the time this comes out, it maybe may be that over. Will yeah. Just be done. Yeah. Also playing tonight, you've got the Brooklyn Nets leading the Milwaukee Bucks 2 to 1 in their series, so they have a few more to go. And the Utah Jazz is currently leading the LA Clippers 2 to 1. They don't play again till Monday. And the Philadelphia 76ers are currently leading the Atlanta Hawks 2 to 1. Sadly. <laughs> so it's it's been an interesting series. It's been close pretty much every game, so it could go either way. It's just the 76ers have just been putting on a show, at least the last game they did anyways, or a couple times that it just looked like there was nothing even on the court playing against the 76ers. So it's just, it's interesting. It's been a good series. Been fun I feel to like the there highlights. had to be someone there. Yeah, you just wouldn't know it based on the way the defense was playing, I guess. Also this week, the NBA has announced that they plan to start the 2021-22 season in mid-October. On the 19th. The NBA told teams on Thursday, June 10th, that it intends to return to a normal schedule next season, with training camps opening in late September and the regular season set to begin on October 19th. It's exciting. Which hopefully means that hockey will also have a similar start date. Only a little earlier, maybe. Yeah. If they go based off normal scheduling, yes, just a tad earlier is usually their method to the madness. And the NBA announced on Monday, June 7th, that it has fined Philadelphia 76ers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, $75,000 for violating the league's anti-tampering rule, which I totally didn't know was a thing until I read this article. The fine is in response to a social media post Morey made on June 3rd regarding the Golden State Warriors' Stephon Curry. The 76ers were also fined $75,000 for Maury's conduct, so his one tweet ended up costing a combined $150,000. Ouch. That's an expensive tweet. That is. Most of them are free. Yeah. And apparently Curry's sibling plays for that team. He does, yeah. And he was basically telling Stephon Curry, come over here, play with your brother, or whatever. And I guess that's tampering it is because it's like trying to entice them to play for the team without going through like the proper channels or whatever correct but that wasn't the only instance of this and this is the first time i even heard of it and it happened twice in one week yeah so the second one was related to lebron james and the miami heat yeah so Uh, the nba announced on wednesday june 9th that it has fined miami heat president pat riley twenty five thousand dollars 
for violating the league's anti-tampering rule. The fine is in response to comments he made during a June 4th radio interview regarding the LA Lakers' LeBron James. So I guess it's not as bad as what the other guy did because it's $50,000 less. Yeah. The question was originally aimed, I guess, based on what I watched video-wise, about Dwayne Wade coming back. It had nothing to do with LeBron at all. But uh, He said he would leave a shiny new key under the mat to let LeBron James back. Which has nothing to do with what the question was, which was... People were like, was he just confused or did he just not pay attention to the question? Like, Because there's rumors that they've been talking to Dwayne Wade to come back in a coaching aspect. So hmm. it was kind of weird to watch. I was like, I feel like whatever happened, question? it's bad. Because yeah. like you would prefer him to be confused, but then at the same time, if he's confused, I really don't want him doing anything with my team. Bingo. Yeah, it's it was weird watching that video. I was I I think I was more confused than I was anything. Just was, like him. Yeah. And you're gonna have to correct me on this person's name. I know it. I just know it. Nat Bjorkren. Uh, Nate. There's an E. There was no E when I read it, but all right. They must have made a really great typo then. <laughs> it was probably ESPN. I blame them. Yeah. Nate Bjorkren. Yeah. Which is the part I actually thought you were gonna correct me on, not the first one. <laughs> is out as the Pacers coach after putting up a 34-38 record in his one season with Indiana. So I've got feelings about this. That he lost a lot. No, it had nothing to do with him, I don't think. So they traded away three of their key pieces at the beginning of the season, including Victor Oladipo, who's part of that trade to get the beard up to the nets. So it's just like... Is it really his fault? Like, you took away three of his stars. One of them, if you remember, was the guy that was going through the cancer issue or the cancer scare earlier in the season where... From he had to have a physical because he was signed and they found cancer? Yeah. I remembered something we're very proud of. So, like, even the guy that they got back who is a star player was out for, like, another month because of that. So it's just like, can you really blame the head coach for the fact that you gave away all that talent? And don't get me wrong, they picked up a lot of really quality prospects and draft picks, but it's just like, they're not here right now playing for him. You kind of screwed the pooch for him is really the best way to look at it, I guess. And so, like, I feel bad for him not getting a legitimate opportunity at this point because that's yeah. kind of what it feels like. But that is also a bad record. It is, but again, I don't think it's his fault. Like, if next season all those young guys come in and the draft picks work out and, like, then he had another losing season, I'd be like, okay, well, he had two years to try. I don't think he got a fair chance in the first year. But the NBA also had some awards given out this week. Key ones being, like, the regular season MVP, which was given to Nuggets center Nikola Jokic. Uh, He was named the MVP for the season. He ended up beating out the nearest person by about... 10 first place votes. Nice. So he definitely owned it. This also makes him the first player to earn the award as a member of the Nuggets. Yes. I was wondering where you were going with that. He's, I think as well too, like one of 10 players not in the United States born wise that have won the uh, NBA MVP as well. So I feel like that shouldn't be the case, but it might be. Yeah. Also, we had the Defensive Player of the Year award given to Jazz Center, Rudy Gobert. It's the third time he's won it in his career. You know who Rudy Gobert is, right? 
You're looking at me like I should, and I don't know. You remember the guy that started the reason all the sports shut down? Because he was joking about not having COVID and then coughing on the mics and stuff like that. And then he tested positive for COVID the very same day. So our very own Typhoid Mary? Yes. he'll. I think he'll live with that just as long as he will his three-time Defensive Player of the Year awards. Hopefully, because it's just like, dude, you're the reason that this got worse. Albeit COVID was probably everywhere at that point in time in the United States, but it's like you can't joke about having COVID and cough on a mic in a press conference room where everybody is like inches away from each other. It's just not a smart decision. And then we also had the Coach of the Year award given. I really feel like the NBA awards are so boring because there's no names or anything like that. There's no history to them. It's just like, and the award for this. It's just like, okay, great. But the Head Coach of the Year award was given to New York Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau. He led the Knicks to the postseason this season for the first time since 2013. It's been a little while since the Knicks have been in the playoffs, and he got them there. So, But that about wraps up my NBA news. We have also the Euros starting on Friday, uh, or started on Friday, I should say. I was going to say, I definitely watched a game today. Yes, they started last Friday. We're in the Euro 2020, and then in my notes I put question mark, question mark, question mark 21. Technically, it's Euro 2020. It's just happening. In 2021, yeah. Which makes no sense, but whatever. We'll start with the sad news that happened yesterday. Obviously, it was everywhere in the sports world. Players from all sorts of leagues were making comments and tweets about how they're sending their prayers and thoughts to the family of Christian Erickson, who mid-game yesterday collapsed during play. And what's crazy is he was really close to the actual play itself, so... It was nationally televised, his collapse on the field. So he's doing okay now. He's in stable condition. They're going to be running tests over the next week to figure out what the heck happened. When he did collapse originally, he was breathing and his heart rate was sporadic, but it was still there. Originally, when the team doctor got to him on the pitch, he said the team doctor in a post-interview of the game and him doing his duties of keeping Christian Eriksen alive stated that after about a minute of trying to treat him to bring him back to where he is, like recollection, because he passed out, his heart stopped and he stopped breathing. And that moment they started CPR. They did CPR for a total of four minutes until the EMTs arrived to take him to the hospital. Four and minutes is a lot. Yeah. That is a lot of time. Yeah. He was seen conscious as he was leaving the stadium on the cart being taken off. But at the same time, you could kind of tell that he wasn't really 100% there still, which is understandable when you pass out, which your heart and your breathing probably did stop at that point. And then you're like, okay, I'm alive-ish again. And then stop again, you know? So, like, I hope everything's okay with him. I, I don't like the way the situation was handled by the broadcast team. It's like there's no reason to keep a camera on that interaction at that point. Like when, when somebody is unconscious on the field and being treated CPR, you turn the camera somewhere else. Well, I mean, at one point they turned the camera on his spouse, which was a worse move or because just as bad. she was sitting up in the stands. She has no idea she what the hell's going on. She was crying. She was absolutely losing it. Well, I would be too. You? Yeah, like, absolutely. No, you don't do that. Right. And so the players of the Danish team actually circled around him so that the cameras couldn't see him because they realized they were broadcasting it. And so they basically stood up to the broadcast agency ESPN and were like, no, 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 no. You're not televising this. 
But as he was going off the field, and this one really just kind of brought a tear to my eye, the fans of both teams nationally were shouting his name in unison. And it was, it, it gave me goosebumps. Like, after seeing the replays of it, like, as I'm sitting here talking about it now, I'm getting goosebumps. Like, it was just a roar across the stadium yeah. that they were so proud that he was able to be, like, there, like, not unconscious as he was leaving, and they were just trying to give him more oomph, basically. But after that, getting off the chest, oof, that was not the way you'd prefer to start a tournament on the second day. No. For sure. But we do have the first... Two days of games done and one game from day three done, as we like to call it on our Twitter account, the wife picks the winners. And sometimes she does. So far, you've picked the winners. Some of your score-related decisions weren't really there, but... So out of all the ones that I picked from day one till now, how many have I gotten right? So on day one, you got it right technically. You didn't pick the score very well. You originally picked three to two, uh, Italy over Turkey. You did technically get the amount of goals right for Italy. They did score three goals, but Turkey scored none. Oh, okay. So if you picked the winner, which you did, Italy won. So we'll give you that one. We'll give you the bonus point of picking the scores, obviously, in that instance. On day two, your score pick that you made was that Wales would win by one over Switzerland. They both scored one goal. Wales but didn't they did win. not win. They did not win. So, so I didn't get that one. No points on that one. What's crazy is... Wales did score first, yep. so you had a chance. <laughs> and when you told me that originally, I think the exact words out of my mouth were, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were like, confidently, yes, the, the Welsh will win by one. But you did pick Finland to win over Denmark. I don't know how I feel about this one, just because the game was postponed for an hour and a half. FIFA is saying that both teams wanted to continue to play the game, and some of the players from... Denmark were like, no, we weren't really on board with this. And others were like, more or less, Christian would want us to finish this game. He's just a fighter like that. He wouldn't want us not to finish it. The issue is you're playing Finland, who are literally the finish, and they finished the game with a 1-0 win. So technically you got that right. I like, I don't know how. Like Emotionally as a player on the field, I don't know that I would have been 100% for finishing that game that day right. for, for obvious reasons. And then Belgium over Russia was your pick, and Belgium beat Russia 3-0. to zero. So technically, you, you've you got three of four right so far. So nice. that's, you know, a winning record so far, three and one. Not bad. And then today there was game. But... Yes, day three, we, we put in the picks for the day. One game was completed in the time before we recorded, and that being the England game over Croatia. England won 1-0. to zero. Your other picks for the day are Austria over North Macedonia, which should be a breeze. And then the Netherlands over the Ukraine, which is the one that could go either way. Honestly, the Netherlands, they're but back for the first time in six years. At this point, tournament. would you want to go against me? Not, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, so far you've nailed it pretty much on the head. So we'll continue to do this on Twitter, and we'll continue to update throughout the week. And hold on to those updates for the podcast next week as well. So, But I think that pretty much wraps up the sports news, unless you have MLS news. I do have MLS news. Quit trying to cut it out. Real soccer is happening right now. In the MLS, Atlanta United FC midfielder Emerson Hindman sustained a torn ACL in his right knee during a training session. The team announced the injury on Thursday, but didn't say when or how it occurred, just that training session. 
It was also announced that Hindman will undergo surgery at an unspecified time in the near future sometime. Funsies. I feel like that's the first injury we've talked about with MLS, but I feel like there had to have been others. So there's a lot of stuff going on right now. So you have Concafa Cup that's going on, which is North America and South America, playing like their version of the Euro, more or less. The Americas. Yes. And you also have Olympic trials going on right now for national teams. Mm -hmm. So the United States just qualified for the Olympics. So like there's a lot of other soccer going on. So the MLS is kind of like sliding into the backlight a little bit, which sucks for the MLS. But at the same time, it's like, these are all... like that's where it lives. These are much more major tournaments that are going on right now and qualifiers. So it's like, shouldn't be that shocked. But also the all-star game between MLS and Liga MX in LA is finally back on. It was supposed to happen and then COVID. The game is set to take place on August 25th. Happy birthday to you. I'm actually hopefully having that day off and we'll be watching that game. I'm actually pretty excited about it because this is the first time you're seeing an all-star from a league versus an all-star team from a league. The MLS is notorious for just picking a European club and playing them. Mm -hmm. Over the years, like Manchester United, Bayern Munich, you know, all sorts of other teams that have been involved with with that, like Real Madrid. So I'm excited to see all-star versus all-star. And it'll be basically for North America, let's be honest, because... There's Canadian teams in the MLS, so. The game will take place at Bank of California Stadium, which is the home of LAFC, whose coach, Bob Bradley, will coach the MLS players. So the home coach is going to be the coach. It's a beautiful stadium in a terrible neighborhood, as we know. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, if you're driving to the stadium, park at the stadium. (laughs) Yes. They have decent security in their parking lot. Correct. Since 2005, the MLS All-Star Game has featured a team of stars from the league against European teams preparing for the start of their season. So I guess now it's going to be a Mexican team. Mexican All-Star team, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually kind of excited about it. Um, Obviously, growing up in San Diego, I've gone to a couple games in Mexico and Tijuana to see the Cholos play. So Talk about a bad place and a good stadium. Yes, yeah. I don't know that I would say it's really that great of a stadium, though, either. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been there. I just said words. It's it's nice. It's a nice facility in comparison to some stadiums, but I don't know. But on that note, I think that pretty much wraps up the sports episode for this week. I don't think we have anything else, but stay paying attention to Twitter because you'll continue to have those wife picks the winners. So If you want me to pick your lottery numbers, just tweet at us. Yeah, I'll give you numbers. If that were the case, we would have uh, been doing this full-time by now for winning lottery numbers, but yeah. <laughs> it seems like I'm on a roll. That's all I'm saying. But we'll catch you later in the week on Thursday for a book episode. And make sure you check out all of our links down in the show notes for all of our social media. And we'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.